Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong, they are weak, but He Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Y'all did. Good. Don't tell the first service. Y'all may have outdone them. Oh, you better not tell them that. I don't know. Listen, I'm guessing because all of you know that song and that you've, you learned it when you were a child and you probably taught it to your children and you taught it to your grandchildren that it's a beloved carol that we sing. But my guess is none of you have ever thought about that being a Christmas carol. In fact, my, if you were to go look up Jesus Loves Me and you were to try to check out all of the top Christmas carols that have ever been sung, you won't find Jesus Loves Me on that list. Now, I think it ought to be on that list. I think it should be there because I think the message of Christmas is actually summed up in those words, Jesus loves me, this I know, the Bible tells me so. I think that's actually the message of Christmas summarized in just a few lines. You know, I was reading a devotional this week, and it put it this way. Christmas is a lot of things. It's a celebration. It's a, it's a time of rejoicing. It is a meditation upon the incarnation of Christ. It is participation in family events and church services like the one that we will have here this evening. But most of all, the writer says, Christmas is love. It's the love of Almighty God expressed towards sinful men and women in the incomparable gift of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That truly is what Christmas is all about. And as you might have already guessed, the theme that we're going to look at this morning is the theme of love. We've been in this uh, Advent series uh, for the last four weeks, and and the first Sunday we looked at the, the hope of Christmas, and we did that by examining Isaiah chapter 40. The next week we looked at the peace that Christmas brings, and we looked at that through Psalm 85. And then last week, Pastor Dave uh, brought us to understand the joy of Christmas, and we looked at that from uh, the beautiful passage that announces the birth of Christ recorded for us in Luke chapter 2. But today I want us to examine the love of Christmas And I want us to look at it from a few different passages of Scripture. We're going to begin in Matthew's Gospel, the first chapter, looking at verses 18 through 21. And then we're going to look at two verses that many of you will know by heart, I hope you do, uh, in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And then the final passage that we're going to examine today will be in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Let's read those together and hear the Word of God this morning. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. 
Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Then if you know it, you can quote it with me, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. And in 1 John chapter 4 beginning in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your love. We read about it in the pages of Scripture and it exhilarates our hearts. It truly encourages us. But we have experienced your love in so many magnificent ways. And there are many of us in this room that our hearts are just overflowing because of the love that we've experienced from you just in the last week. But I'm also afraid, Lord, that there are many of us sitting in this room today that the fact is we haven't really considered the love that you have toward us very much. We've more considered all of the things that we've got to do, all the places that we've got to be, all of the activities in which we have to engage in. We've thought more about the celebration than we have about the reason why we celebrate. And I pray that that would change as a result of the time we spend focusing on your word this morning. I pray that you would recalibrate our thinking and give us wisdom and understanding, but also bring conviction to our hearts about the fact that we often chase after the wrappings rather than truly enjoying the present that's been given. So I pray that that would change today. Begin a work in us that you would desire to do. Change us by the power of your Holy Spirit working through your word. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. This morning I want to hang my thoughts as we work through these passages on three different pegs. And as we consider the love of Christmas from these passages, the first point that I want you to recognize today is simply this. It's the profound theology behind Christmas love. The profound theology behind Christmas love. I want to point you back to the passage there in Matthew chapter 1. Because it's there that we learn something deep and important. Verse 18 begins this way. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. But what's interesting is that in reality, Matthew, he doesn't begin talking about the actual birth of Jesus. Rather, he gives us information regarding the conception of Jesus. In in fact, the word translated birth in our English language is actually the word Genesis 
in, he, in, in, in Greek. And therefore, what Matthew is describing is the Genesis. He's describing the circumstances under which Mary became pregnant. And what he tells us is that something happened with Mary that had never happened previously in all of human history and has never happened since. He tells us that a baby, that the Christ child, was miraculously conceived in her womb. And this we know because... What Matthew tells us in verse 18. Notice he tells us that the baby was conceived before Mary and Joseph came together. In other words, before they had ever physically consummated their marriage, Mary became pregnant. But secondly, notice that Mary was found with child. Notice the prepositional phrase, of the Holy Spirit. Now, what that means is that God's Spirit was the one who formed the human baby in Mary's womb. Now down in verse 20, the the angel of the Lord further confirms that fact to Joseph in a dream when he tells him, look, for that which is conceived in her, again, is of the Holy Spirit. So from these two details, we learn that Jesus Christ's conception was something miraculous and it was something supernatural. Something completely foreign to the the natural genesis, to the natural origin of any other human being. And that unique, one-of-a-kind aspect of this otherwise normal pregnancy alerts us to the profound theology that lies behind Christmas love. First of all, what we recognize is that all members of the Holy Trinity were involved in this process. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave, he sent his only Son. That's exactly what we learned in 1 John 4 verse 9, that God the Father sent his only begotten into the world. We've just read that it was the Holy Spirit that overshadowed Mary, that he was the one who, who formed the baby in her womb. And then we also learn from Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus Christ himself was involved because he himself made himself of no reputation, Paul writes. He came in the likeness of men and he humbled himself to the point of obedience even to the point of death on the cross. So All three members of the Godhead are involved in this process. And that is something that we ought to remember. Jesus' arrival in the flesh was the work of the entire Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But another part of the profound theology behind Christmas love is revealed in the fact that Jesus had a dual nature. He was both fully God and he was fully human. As Matthew's account makes clear, Jesus was conceived supernaturally. We get further confirmation of that by what Luke tells us in Luke's gospel. When the angel of the Lord goes to Mary and tells her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. But I want you to know he was not only called the Son of God. He is also the Son of Man. In fact, the Son of Man was one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself throughout the Gospels. And as such a title is completely accurate and appropriate because Jesus' natural birth was just like that of the rest of humanity. He is fully human, just as you and I are fully human. But he is also fully God. So the profound theology behind Christmas love tells us, as John puts it in the prologue of his gospel, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And what it tells us is that in His love, God sent His own fully divine Son, Jesus, who through His birth also became fully human and therefore fully able to identify with us in all of our struggles and in all of our sorrows and in all of our grief. Jesus understands our pain. He understands our joy. Jesus can identify with you and I in every single way, but He is also fully God. He's fully divine. He he is the Son of God, and as such, He possesses all of the characteristics and the attributes of God. When we read scriptures, we come across issues letting us know that Jesus had power over disease, that He demonstrated His command over nature, that He displayed His authority over sin, and that He exercised His control over death. Jesus is fully human, but He is fully God. And why that is so important is because He is able to fully identify with us, but He represents the Godhead to us. He is able to simultaneously lay His hands on humanity while also laying His hands on the Godhead. And in doing that, He represents us to God and He represents God to humanity. And He is able to be the bridge that brings us together and reconciles us. As Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. As mediator, Jesus does that. He is both the Son of God and He is the Son of Man. So when we consider the love of Christmas, we need to remind ourselves that the birth of Jesus in this stable to this virgin girl and to her espoused husband, well, it brought with it some very deep and some very profound theological truths that must be true. They must be true if you and I have any hope of being saved. That's not all. You see, the next peg that we need to consider today is this. Note the next point on your outline. We not only want to consider the deep theology behind Christmas love, but we need to consider the amazing expression of Christmas love. See, the angel of the Lord said it so clearly to Joseph. After telling him not to put Mary away, he instructs Joseph to name the child Jesus And then the angel interprets for us the name, what that name means. He says, you name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. So here, the angel announces what the Christ child's mission will be. And it will be a mission of salvation. That's exactly what we quoted when we quoted John 3, 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because the world was already condemned. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent him so that the world through him might be saved. You see, that's the good news. The good news is that there can be salvation. That's why Jesus came. That's why his name was named Jesus. And so we have to say, well, saved from what? What is it that we are truly saved from? Well, to get there, you back up to verse 16. John 3, 16 tells us why we were saved. Incidentally, just because I also think that Jesus Loves Me is an underappreciated song at Christmas. I actually think John 3.16 is an underappreciated verse at Christmas. 
And I'm here to elevate both of them. I want both of y'all to go out singing Jesus Loves Me and quoting John 3.16 to everybody and say, this is what Christmas is all about. Because it is. It's about the love that God had for lost humanity that he sent his one and only begotten son into the world that we might be saved. Saved from what? From perishing. You notice that's the part of John 3.16 that sometimes we don't think about. That they might not perish. What does it mean to perish? Well, perish means to suffer. To perish means to live in a conscious state of torment and separation forever. And the bad news of John 3.16 is that that is what's deserved from every single one of us in this room. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as a result of that, we learn in Romans 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. It is that death that John 3, 16 refers to, only it uses the word perishing. We have all sinned, and as, that, as a result of that, all of us deserve to perish. Now, when you understand that bad news, it makes the first part of John 3, 16 all the more better because that's where it starts this, for God so loved. Now, I want to focus on the word so for just a second because the word so there, sometimes we think that that means the amount of love that God has. That's not what it's intended to mean. It's not the amount of love. God did not so love by this amount. No, it's God so loved in that in this way God loved. How? How did God so love us? He loved us by sending his only begotten son. So you see, here's the amazing part. That he gave his only begotten son. That is the amazing part of the expression of love that we come at at Christmas time. You see, he didn't just give Jesus to be a baby in a manger. He gave him to become the savior for sinners like you and me. And ultimately, based upon what the scriptures teach us, we know that this giving was a giving up of his son to die, to be rejected. The Bible tells us in John's gospel that he came into his own and his own received him not. Instead of receiving him, what did they do? They rejected him and they ultimately crucified him. And that is why at Christmas we cannot, we must not stop at Bethlehem. Certainly that is where the love of God was made visible in the birth of our Savior, but we must follow That love as it is manifesting itself in in the perfect, sinless, holy life of Jesus who became the perfect, sinless, holy sacrifice who died on Calvary's cross in the place of sinners so that they might be saved from their sins through their faith in him. So when we read here in John 3, 16 and 17 that the Father gave his only begotten Son in order to save sinners, we must connect the dots. We must recognize that when God gave his son, he gave him to die. And that same thought is reiterated to us again in the passage that I read from 1 John 4. Because there we read in verse 9, And this is love, in this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In other words, God desired to make his love for humanity crystal clear. And he did it by sending his son into the world in order to bring us life. The apostle Paul writes that Jesus secured our life through his own death. Romans 5 verse 8 tells us that God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while 
we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the great theme of the Bible. When you touch upon this theme, when you get here, you have come to the great message of the entire scriptures. All of scripture points to this. This is it. That is the love of God that is only to be seen finally and only to be known fully when you look at what God has done for us and in us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has come being sent by the Father out of his love for sinners to die for us so that we might be saved and have life. But here's what I want you to know. 1 John 4, verse 10, ratchets things up. That's some of the greatest news you could ever tell anybody, what I just told you. But then it gets even better in verse 10. Here's why it gets better. Because John tells us, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Listen, what that tells us is that God's love for us displayed in the sacrificial death of his son was not a response to our love for him first. Listen, this is not quid pro quo right here. This is God saying, I'm doing something for you that you can't do anything for me. I'm coming to you in your helpless estate when you have no hope and you have no way of being able to offer anything for me. I'm coming in to demonstrate how much I love you. I'm sending my one and only son to die on a cross in your place. That is the love of Christmas. That is what we must come to. It is an amazing expression of love. When you really get your mind wrapped around the fact that I was lost and destined for hell, doomed because of my sin, nothing to offer God in any way, shape, or form, and yet he loved me in spite of that and demonstrated it to such a degree that it makes it crystal clear that the love of Christ, the love of my God, for me, is utterly amazing. I may get off my notes. John Piper has written this. He said, Christmas is all about love. And he says, it is a giving love. It gives his most precious treasure, his son. It was a very costly love a very powerful love, a very rugged, painful love. And the meaning of Christmas is the celebration of that love. So the amazing expression of Christmas love is that God put a plan in place to rescue hopelessly lost sinners from the danger of perishing by giving his only begotten son to die in their place. God's plan was to place upon his own son the punishment that is rightly due the sinner, thereby pardoning the sinner and giving him life. This is God's plan of rescue. This is God's plan of redemption. And it is why, it's why we must reflect upon the amazing expression of Christmas love. So we've considered the profound theology behind Christmas love. We have reflected upon the amazing expression of Christmas love, which leads us to the last peg. And it's this. The last point on your outline is the necessary response to Christmas love. Now John 3.16 makes the necessary response very clear. The duty of each one of us 
is to respond to God's act of love by believing on the Son of God. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, that same message is repeated numerous times in John's gospel. Listen here, John 3.18 says this, He who believes in him is not condemned. John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. John 6, verse 40 says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. John 6, verse 47, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. The Apostle Paul says it very clearly in the same type language in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. He says, we hear, he says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. What is abundantly clear from these passages and from a plethora of more that we would find in the scriptures is this, that the necessary response to the amazing expression of Christmas love is that we must believe it. We must place our faith in Jesus Christ who was not only born in Bethlehem's manger but was crucified on Calvary's cross for our sins and is raised to bring us life. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews 11, verse 6. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And therefore, we must, understanding, we must understand that believing is the vital link between your soul and God's rescuing love. The reason faith is so vital is because the scriptures tell us that those who do not believe in Christ will forfeit the love of God and they will remain under God's wrath. I read for you John 3, 36, the first part of that verse. It says this, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. But the second part of that verse says this, but he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You see, it is those who believe that will not perish. So believing is absolutely necessary. If you can imagine the good news of the salvation that God offers sinners through the death and the resurrection of His Son, if you can imagine that good news sort of moving across humanity, if you can imagine it sort of as a wedge, maybe the, the bow of a boat, that as it moves through humanity, it divides humanity into two groups. It divides it into those who believe and those who do not. Now listen, everyone out there all of us stand condemned before God because of our sin. It is the gospel that moves across humanity and divides us. And what divides us is whether or not we believe that Jesus Christ is the answer for our predicament. Do we trust in Jesus and in Him alone to be our salvation? And what I want you to know is that when that moves across, what the Scriptures reveal is that since we all stand condemned before Him... Those who believe in Jesus will be the ones who are vitally linked to the love of God and are rescued from their perishing. Those who do not remain under the wrath of God. The message of Christmas is that God loved the world in this way. He gave his son to be the rescue for sinners. And as such, all men, women, boys, and girls everywhere 
must respond by faith, by believing in the gospel that Jesus came to bring. Without that response, the sinner remains separated from God's love and remains under God's wrath. So belief is the first necessary response to Christmas love. And the second we find in that last paragraph that I read for you from 1 John 4. In fact, that paragraph, I don't know if you noticed it when we read it, begins and ends with the exact same emphasis. Verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. Verse 11 says, Brothers, we ought to love one another. It starts with what we ought to do. It starts with, with, a, with a, a call, an exhortation to love one another, and then it ends by stating that's what our duty ought to be. We ought to love one another. It's reciprocal Christian love, as John Stott has put it. It is a love that we should have for the brethren, a love for one another that ought to display everything that God has done in our lives. In fact, verse 11 takes into account everything that we've looked at this morning. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 7 kind of makes some good statements. It said, love is of God. And then in verse 8, it says, God is love. So if you know that love comes from God, and if you know God is love, then it, it really makes all the sense in the world why, why God can say, look, if you are my child and you belong to me, you ought to demonstrate that love to other people. You ought to demonstrate that love to the brethren. You know, um, whenever I go to my parents' house or, or we go up to South Carolina to, to Caroline's parents' house, they've got the wall in their house. You know what the wall is, right? The walls were all the pictures of when you were a kid still hang there. Some of you giggling, y'all know, because you've got that wall in your house. And so whenever we go to my mom and dad's house or whenever we go to Caroline's mom and dad's house, we go in and, 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 and we see the wall. And I, I confess sometimes I stop and look at the wall. And particularly when I go to South Carolina, I'm looking at it. But I look at myself once in a while. And it's not because I'm admiring, my, it's not because I'm admiring the clothes that I was wearing in the late 70s. It's not because I was admiring my hairdo. And I had a hairdo. <laughs> you know the reason why I stopped and look at those pictures? Because I am amazed at how much of my children I see in those pictures. See, I'm looking at those pictures of Caroline when she was younger. Because when I look at those pictures of Caroline, I see my daughters in her pictures. When I look at those pictures of me as a kid, I'm looking for that trace of Charlie that's in there and that, that trace of Maggie and Chloe that's in there. Presley looks just like her mother, so nobody even thinks that she looks like me. <laughs> but isn't that, the way that, isn't that the way that we think that it ought to be? I mean, you look at a picture, you would expect that the child ought to resemble the parent in some way. It's natural. It's what ought to happen. That's exactly what John says. He says, if you are a child of God, your attributes ought to be like Him, not physically, but spiritually. Your attitude, the way you respond to other brothers and sisters in Christ, the way you live your life out in front of the world, it ought to, it ought to look like, it ought to replicate, it ought to be an image that would point people back to your heavenly Father. The love that you have for others ought to be there because God has loved you first. 
In fact, that type of love gives evidence that we are truly his children. And just the opposite is the case. John doesn't let us off the hook. He says, if you're not loving the way that God loved, you know what it gives evidence of? That you're not really his child. There's a test. There's a test right there. Am I loving the way that I ought to love? Because that tells me if I'm truly connected to him. And if I'm not, if I'm not loving the way that God would love, then I need to check to find out what sin has come into my life that has separated me from him. And I need to confess it, and I need to repent of it, and I need to be made right with him. John's implication is clear. If we have truly come to know God and have been born again by faith in Christ, then we must love one another because loving one another is a necessary response to Christmas love. And so as we've considered the love of Christmas, having moved across these different passages today, we pondered the profound theology behind Christmas love. We have examined the amazing expression of Christmas love. And then we have been confronted with the necessary response to Christmas love. And as we draw everything back full circle, my mind this week couldn't help but go back and think about Joseph. Did Joseph understand everything that the angel said to him? When he said, look, Joseph, don't put Mary away. Instead, recognize that God is doing something miraculous here. Name this baby Jesus because he is going to save his people from their sin. I've often wondered if Joseph understood everything. Did he fully comprehend the deep, and profound theological truths that accompanied the birth of the Christ child? Did he grasp the amazing expression of God's love toward mankind and toward him? The truth is we don't really know all of what Joseph understood or didn't understand at that specific moment. What we do know, though, is that he believed the words that were spoken to him and he did what the angel of the Lord told him to do. And in that we see that Joseph responded in faith and in obedience. The real question of where this leaves the, the, the pages of scripture and then gets into our laps and moves into our lives is whether or not the deep and profound theological truths that are revealed in the birth of Jesus have caused you to be lost in wonder and love and praise for the Heavenly Father? Has the amazing expression of God's love in sending His Son to die for you, has that so grasped your heart that you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've repented of your sins and you've made Him Lord of your life? Has, has His love for you impacted you in such a way so that you have not only received his salvation, but that you have surrendered your life to him completely? Is, is that surrender reflected in the way that you love others? Do you love them enough to share the good news of the gospel with them? As we've seen, these are necessary responses to the love that God has shown us. And I love what Al Mohler has written. He says, when Christmas is rightly understood, we know that God loves us even as we are sinners who deserve no love. 
We also understand that this love is demonstrated in the gift of the Son who would die for our sins and would be raised by the Father in order to secure our salvation. Brothers and sisters, that is what Christmas love is all about. It leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning, which is this. The love of Christmas is truly celebrated when we come to appreciate the profound theological implications of the Savior's birth, when we stand amazed at His loving sacrifice for our sins, and when we respond in faith and obedience to the love we have been shown. I don't know about you, perhaps there are some of you in this room who have come to this place today, and for you, Christmas has just really been, well, it's just been a story. It's been a fairy tale, maybe, a quaint tradition that according to our culture involves a lot of mystical creatures. Oh, yeah, and a baby born in a manger, sometimes tacked on at the end. Well, if that's the case, I want you to know that the true meaning of Christmas is that God loves you. Amen. The true meaning of Christmas is that He loves you enough that He sent His only begotten Son to die in your place. The Scriptures tell us this, that greater love has no man than this, than He laid down His life for His friend. This is what the Savior has done. And Christmas will change for you when you come to realize and to believe that because of his love, Jesus Christ came not merely to be a Savior, but he came to be your Savior. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God and it is for the people of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for loving us in such a way that is undeniable. No one could ever truly examine the demonstration of love in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and come away, if they have truly understood it, walk away from that not recognizing that it was love. And it is the love of Christ that we celebrate this Christmas. It is sacrificial love that saves us from our sins. For many of us, we may have lost sight of that, but I pray that by your conviction, we will not lose sight of it again. That we will not chase other things, become so enraptured in other things that we lose sight of the most important thing, and that is that Christ died to save sinners of whom I am chief. I thank you for that truth this morning. I thank you for the realization that nothing that we could ever do could separate us from your love. May you be honored. May you be glorified in our time of invitation as we sing together in Christ's name. Amen.